The House and Senate are both in recess until Labor Day. The Senate will return on September 8th. That's the Tuesday after Labor Day. But the House will not return for votes until September 14th. Now to investigating the investigators, Chapter 17. Last Sunday, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Lindsey Graham released newly uncovered FBI documents from 2015 that reveal a massive double standard in the treatment by the FBI of the Clinton campaign and the Trump campaign. Said Graham in releasing the documents, quote, there was a clear double standard by the Department of Justice and FBI when it came to the Trump and Clinton campaigns in 2016. These newly released documents indicate that a foreign government was trying to influence the Clinton campaign through a campaign associate, and the FBI was seeking a FISA warrant. However, the Bureau, as it is supposed to do, required that Hillary Clinton be defensively briefed about the matter so she could engage in corrective action. When it came to the Trump campaign, there were four counterintelligence investigations opened against Trump campaign associates. Not one time was President Trump defensively briefed about the FBI's concerns. Even more egregious, when the FBI gave a generic briefing to the Trump campaign about foreign influence, not only did they fail to mention the specific concerns about Trump associates, they sent an FBI agent into the briefing to monitor President Trump and General Flynn. The FBI used the generic briefing as an intelligence gathering tool, which I believe to be inappropriate and shameful. The FBI did the right thing by briefing Clinton and failed to do the right thing by never specifically briefing President Trump about their concerns. Counterintelligence investigations are designed to protect American interests from foreign influence. They are not criminal in nature. Given all the stunning revelations of FBI bias compiled by Inspector General Horowitz and others, it is clear to me why there was a double standard. The FBI was not trying to protect the Trump campaign. They were trying to infiltrate the campaign and undermine his presidency, end quote. Graham pledged to continue his work to hold accountable those who abused the FBI, I'm sorry, the FISA programs and to reform the programs. Now to CDC guidelines. Last Monday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention revised its guidance, quote, to now say that asymptomatic people do not need to be tested for coronavirus, even if they've been in close contact with an infected person, unquote, according to The Hill. Quote, the agency made the move by updating its website, but did not make any public announcement or explain the reasoning behind the major revision. The guidance now states, quote, if you have been in close contact within six feet of a person with a COVID-19 infection for at least 15 minutes, but do not have symptoms, you do not necessarily need a test unless you are a vulnerable individual or your healthcare provider or state or local public health officials recommend you take one, end quote, end quote. That's a significant change from the previous guidance, which read, quote, testing is recommended for all close contacts of persons with SARS-CoV-2 infection because of the potential for asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic transmission. It is important that contacts of all individuals with SARS-CoV-2 infection be quickly identified and tested, unquote. Democrats and the media predictably went nuts. 
By Thursday, CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield decided he needed to issue a clarification. Quote, testing is meant to drive actions and achieve specific public health objectives. Everyone who needs a COVID-19 test can get a test. Everyone who wants a test does not necessarily need a test. The key is to engage the needed public health community in the decision with the appropriate follow-up action, end quote. A spokesman for the Department of Health and Human Services explained that Redfield was, quote, amplifying and explaining, unquote, the earlier guidance rather than walking it back. And the Monday guidelines stayed in place on the CDC website after Redfield's Thursday amplification. On Saturday, the New York Times confused everyone with publication of an article that said that too many tests using a threshold viral presence that was too loose to be useful, resulting in more positive tests results than there should be. Reads the piece, quote, some of the nation's leading public health experts are raising a new concern in the endless debate over coronavirus testing in the United States. The standard tests are diagnosing huge numbers of people who may be carrying relatively insignificant amounts of the virus. Most of these people are not likely to be contagious and identifying them may contribute to bottlenecks that prevent those who are contagious from being found in time. The article continues, quote, in three sets of testing data that include cycle thresholds compiled by officials in Massachusetts, New York, and Nevada, up to 90% of people testing positive carried barely any virus, a review by the Times found. On Thursday, the United States recorded 45,604 new coronavirus cases, according to a database maintained by the Times. If the rates of contagiousness in Massachusetts and New York were to apply nationwide, then perhaps only 4,500 of those people may actually need to isolate and submit to contact tracing, end quote. That's just 10% of those who got positive results. Now to coronavirus relief negotiations. After weeks of no conversations regarding passage of another coronavirus relief bill, there was some action last week. On Wednesday, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows did a public interview with two reporters from Politico. He said he was hopeful that House Speaker Pelosi and he would be able to talk soon to try to revive the stalled talks. Pelosi responded by mocking him at her regular Thursday morning press conference. Referring to a call between the two that had been scheduled for later Thursday afternoon, Pelosi acted as if she had forgotten his name as she asked reporters at the press conference for assistance. Quote, this is a conversation only to respect the fact that the president's representative, not even the lead negotiator, that would be Mnuchin, we consider, whatever his name is. What's the name? Meadows there, as staffing Mr. Mnuchin, end quote. The Thursday afternoon phone call between the two didn't go much better. It lasted 25 minutes, and it ended with Speaker Pelosi saying the talks will go nowhere until GOP negotiators agree to what Politico called, quote, a massive $1 trillion concession, unquote. Quote, we have said again and again that we are willing to come down, meet them in the middle. That would be $2.2 trillion. When they're ready to do that, we'll be ready to discuss and negotiate. I did not get that impression on that call, unquote, said Pelosi. Meadows appeared this morning on NBC's Meet the Press. Asked about the state of the negotiations, he said this, quote, the speaker's been very clear. When she said $2.2 trillion, she said, don't do anything at all, Chuck. I said, what does the $2.2 trillion represent? 
You know what her response was? I'm not going to tell you. Let me fill in the blanks. That's not a proper negotiation, and not is it anything that the American people accept. In fact, many of her rank-and-file members don't even accept it, unquote. Pelosi's position that the two sides should meet in the middle sounds perfectly reasonable, except that it's not, because it's built on a false premise that the House passed $3.4 trillion coronavirus relief bill is reasonable. By her logic, if the Senate had passed a $1 trillion bill and the House had passed an $11 trillion bill, it would be reasonable to meet in the middle and pass the bill at $6 trillion. But that's absurd. And it's just as absurd to suggest that $2.4 trillion is a reasonable compromise between the House and Senate because that's money we do not have. And here's the little secret to Pelosi's play. She's not really giving up a trillion dollars when she says she'll come down by a trillion. She's just shortening the length of time over which she wants to spread the spending. She plans to spend money at exactly the same rate as in the $3.4 trillion bill. Just do it for a shorter period of time. So let's say she wants to spend $3.4 trillion over one year. And now she says she'll only insist on spending $2.4 trillion. What she doesn't say is she'll spend the $2.4 trillion over eight and a half months instead of 12. I continue to believe the ultimate answer here is going to be a massive omnibus bill at the end of September. It'll contain a continuing resolution that funds the government at its current spending levels through the middle of December, and it will add in elements of a coronavirus relief package. I'm further willing to bet that the amounts of both elements will be influenced by who wins the election in November. If the Republicans win and maintain their hold on the White House and the Senate, we'll be spending less than we would if the Democrats sweep. And now finally, Russia collusion again. On Saturday, CNN reported that the Office of the Director of National Intelligence had informed congressional leaders that it would no longer provide in-person briefings on election security efforts. Democrats in the media predictably went nuts. Appearing Sunday on CNN's State of the Union broadcast, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff said, quote, Russians are again interfering to help the president in his reelection. He doesn't want the American people to know it, end quote. And that's our Washington report for this week.